Hey all, my name is Anthea Davidson-Jarrett and I am an educational consultant, Montessori practitioner, children's book author, amongst other things. And in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about vertical grouping. Let's go. I am going to be referencing from The Absorbent Mind, chapter 23 from the Theosophical Publishing House uh, version, uh, 1949, I do believe. Uh, So this is all about social interaction. Uh, The book, The Absorbent Mind, found is usually the one by uh, Halton Company, New York, but I have found a PDF copy and that is from the publishing house that I aforementioned. So I do believe in the original book, uh, the chapter that I'm going to be referencing is chapter 22, but in this particular version, uh, it comes under chapter 23. So let's begin. It's a most unnatural and cruel thing, quote. It is a most unnatural and cruel thing to put people of the same age together. It is one of the most cruel things we do to children, end quote, and that's page 33, sorry, 331, The Absorbent Mind. Well, what did Maria Montessori mean by this blanket statement? Well, I'm going to give you another one. Quote, in most schools, there is first the separation of the sexes and then that of the ages, separated into classes. This is a fundamental error leading to all sorts of mistakes. It is an artificial isolation which cannot develop the social sense. Again, from the Absorbent Mind, page 331. Well, let's be real. Ask yourself this. Outside of a teaching setting, where else do you see same age grouping occurring in life? School, swimming lessons, girl guides, boy scouts and the like are all headed and directed by designated teachers and usually have children arranged according to sex and age. So why would Montessori feel this arrangement stunts social development? Why is same age grouping an artificial isolation? Well, let's consider the first concrete experience a child has in developing him him or herself socially. And that would be the one of the family setting, especially if they have siblings. So the child grows naturally in a vertically grouped environment and that simply means one where children are able to learn within different age groups. It is understandable why most schools decide to group children according to their age. It fits their plan for how to educate. The curriculum is curated according to the apparent abilities of the child and that is according to their age. But let's take a look at how children learn. First of all, children learn, essentially, by doing. They hear and understand with their eyes and physical concrete experiences first, led by their spiritual intuition. Uh, This is why it is encouraged to model the behaviour, model the behaviour desired. You've got to model the behaviour. So how do children teach differently from adults? Montessori explains that there is a mental osmosis between children in nearing ages that exists and that doesn't exist for the adult child communication. Quote, children do teach, whereas judging by examination results, apparently qualified teachers do not teach, end quote. 
Oh my. <laughs> Spicy. Uh, that was from page 335. And it's funny how she wrote this over 150 years ago, but it's still very relevant today. It's still a shared consensus amongst those who are disgruntled with the mainstream schooling system, especially. I just thought that was you know, quite a spicy quote to throw in there. But are adults able to teach children more effectively than children can teach each other? Quote, the smaller child is animated because he does understand what the older one does. And the older one is animated because he can teach what he knows. End quote. And that's page 335 to 336. For example, if a child misbehaves in class, the automatic go-to for some teachers would be to reprimand and rush to correct, whereas Montessori observed that although another child may point out that the behaviour was disagreeable, the older child, having recently experienced that which the younger child has, is that much more connected with and able to empathise and communicate with understanding that child uh, as opposed to the adult. Quote, if the adults step in to adjust, the children get nervous. But if they are left alone, they solve them peacefully. End quote. And that's page 329. Bear in mind, we are talking about children who are normalized, right? And I've explained that in previous podcasts, what normalization is. And that is simply a child who is able to concentrate for long periods and able to organize themselves, exercising self-discipline and order. So this harmony and mental osmosis is demonstrated well where vertical grouping exists. And the importance of child-child teaching opportunities is shown not only in the way they mutually respect the similar stages of each other's learning and development, but in the ways they set forth extending and consolidating their own learning. Quote, they respect each other and only help when help is a real necessity. This enlightens us greatly because they evidently have an intuition of and show respect for the essential need of the child not to be helped uselessly. And that's page 337. Oh, what's she talking about? What does useless help look like? <laughs> it definitely does to me have an air of hastiness to it. For example, weekday, early in the morning, clock's ticking, got to get to work. Rather than allow, say, a toddler to work out how to put on his or her coat by him or herself, the parent usually does it for him or her. <laughs> useless help. Or if a child who is learning to walk on the way to nursery with his dad, taking his time, taking in all the environment, he's strolling casually, no, straddled up to a pushchair, because once again, TikTok, TikTok, don't want to be late, useless help. Again, in a class uh, setting, the teacher shows the child what to do usually and quickly moves on to the next area of a subject after maybe one or two lessons, uh, rather than the child being given as much time as is needed to truly master through repetition what is being taught, because there is simply not enough time in the academic year to engage deeply and explore every topic. All these are examples of useless help and have an impact on the social development of the child because the opportunity to work things out by themselves and with each other 
isn't presented. The need to assist and do things for the child definitely stunts their ability to problem solve independently. And it limits the development, as I said, of social skills. And as I also said before, children learn by doing, and this includes making mistakes and working out how to correct them on their own. And most importantly, most importantly, sorry, taking the time they need to do so. Useless help encourages a dependency on others to get the job done for you. And that's definitely an unhealthy practice to encourage. The ability to correct oneself as opposed to having someone correct you is essential in the Montessori pedagogy. And that's why most Montessori's, in fact, all Montessori materials have what is called a control of error. And that simply allows the child to clearly identify with the use of their senses where they have a need to correct themselves. So vertical grouping children in environments such as this, we can see how the younger child may definitely benefit from observing and even asking for support from an older child who has mastered the activity already. Uh, this also occurs with an energy, I think I've mentioned this before, of mutual respect as opposed to an added pressure to perform, which is often the case with teacher-child communication, especially in the instance of correction. Quote, the small one sees what the elder one does and asks about it, and the older one gives an explanation. This is really teaching, but the explanation and teaching of a child of five years is so near to the understanding of the child of three years that the little one understands easily whereas we should not reach his intelligence, end quote. <laughs> That's from page 332. As adults, we've developed past the stage of children, right? Which means that although we assume we are better at explaining things to a child, in some cases, it is only the child who can do this most effectively. Montessori describes an instance where a child broke a glass vase in class and instead of being met with condemnation or feeling of guilt the other children in class who had also gone through the same experiences earlier on in their uh, journey got to work simply with assisting the child in clearing up the mess quote there is an instinct that attracts them to help one who is weak with encouragement and consolation and this is an instinct of social evolution page 339. What's also interesting to note is that in same age classes at school in particularly there is almost an accepted celebration of competition. Who got the highest score? Who wrote the neatest? Children often get rewarded for being the best at this or that and those who aren't as well developed feel inadequate despite any encouragement from the adult teacher. In vertically aged groupings, the child who is less developed in a skill can quietly observe those who are more advanced, go away, practice, until they too master the skill. There is a silent admiration whilst observing the more advanced child because they yearn to also be able to do the same thing. Quote, the children are not only not envious at all, but the achievements of other children evoke an enthusiastic admiration and joy. Page 340. With any new skill, the mastery of it comes through repetition, 
and in repeating something new skills are shaped. Older children benefit from vertical grouping because they not only develop their sense of social responsibility but can also refine their own sense of self too. A lot of the arguments against vertical grouping are that the older child doesn't benefit as much but the older child also develops for me a sense of social responsibility in such a grouping and actually feels honoured to be the one whom others seek support. Quote, the child of five with the child of three feels himself a protector. Page 333. In vertically aged grouping, the onus is not on the older child to teach, absolutely not. It occurs naturally whilst he or she is learning. It is the presence of the older child at work that teaches more than anything. So for the older child, the opportunity to realise the importance of rules and principles is presented in vertical aged grouping. If a younger child, still learning the rules of the setting, disrupts the flow, the older child is able to model by example. The ability to explain a concept, rather than simply being able to master it, is also strengthened. I understand that when I'm teaching numeracy, at times children are able to do the calculations easily, but when asked to explain it, not so much. So here we have an opportunity for them to do so, not to the teacher, but maybe to each other. The emotional understanding and maturity of the older child is developed too, as they come across scenarios which they may have encountered previously, demonstrated by younger children in a less effective way. Realizing how far they have grown from that, right? Vertical grouping for the older child also teaches them mentorship and leadership skills how to work effectively with others, including how best to guide in a range of situations. Quote, people become worried whether the five-year-old will acquire sufficient knowledge if he is always teaching younger ones. In the first place, he is not always teaching. He has his own freedom and it is respected. Apart from that, in teaching, he fixes his own knowledge because he has to analyze and rehandle it in order to teach. So he sees it with greater clarity. And that's from page 334. So vertical grouping reflects real life for me, but for children, giving them the freedom to develop within limits has to go hand in hand with that. Quote, a three years old can see a nine years old extracting the square root. He asks him, what he is doing. If the answer gives him no inspiration, he goes back to his own class, where there are objects of inspiration. But the six years old would be interested and would find inspiration there. With this freedom, one can see the limits of the intelligence of each age, and that's pages 334 to 335. The ability to choose an organized self is central to developing an independent and savvy individual. So when a child is normalized, as mentioned earlier, and has such freedom, there is no end to his or her success. Quote, generally, if a teacher interferes, she has an idea quite different from that of the children and disturbs the social harmony of the class. If there is such a problem, we should, but for exceptional cases, 
leave the children alone and mind our own business because in doing so we are able to see how the children solve these problems and observe a manifestation of the behavior of childhood of the real behavior which the adult does not know at all through all these daily experiences a social construction takes place and that's from the absorbent mind page 334 to 335 well i do hope you enjoyed that podcast and it's perked your interests in understanding what vertical grouping is all about and the benefits of vertical grouping. At Educate the Globe, we enjoy engaging with each child's unique learning cycle. So whatever your choice of educational style for your child, whatever your child's educational needs are, we are here to support and complement their journey through the primary years. We do so by scaffolding any new learning and assisting consolidating any gaps in current knowledge where the need is desired. Please do book in a call with me if you are interested. Check out my podcasts, all the other ones, my articles on educatetheglobe.co.uk or .com, doesn't matter. Also do check out I Know I Can series. The new illustrations are out, guys. I am excited. So I look forward to learning all about your child's personal visions for self as well as their educational aspirations and wish you a happy and gentle day.